hey, we're on. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. I can hey. see us. <laughs> Jerry was just asking about uh, Matthew McConaughey's language. His catchphrase. I couldn't remember what his thing right, was. Then you got it. Hey, hey, hey. It's not. It's all right, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, favorites. I feel like Fine. I'm definitely dressing down more and more every week. I am not. I went straight from my like normal gray shirt to like hoodies That's all I mean. I'm the just time. Like, I'm, I wear like ripped jeans yeah. now and like old socks. And I mean, why wear nice clothes? It's true. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you are in a slow descent. I, I was just slow like, descent. I was just exactly. like, we're going from gray shirts. Oh, you just went. So we're well, just going to hoodies. You didn't That's really it. have far to go. You it's just true. Like... People, people wear. Well, no, there is a step below gray hoodie. What's that? Isn't there? There's like shorts. Oh, I don't do shorts. Oh, no, no, you do though. <laughs> like it's I wouldn't it. That's what I'm saying. Is like it is it is one layer lower. It's true. In the rings. There I do have shorts. <laughs> I just don't like to wear them in public. I, I only wear them in my house. I know. I, so. I think that you've definitely like been at the church in your flip flops thinking no one's flip flops in cargo here. shorts. <laughs> no cargo shorts be. are the worst. Dudes don't wearing cargo really? shorts. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Jonathan wears cargo I know. They're the worst. <laughs> I wear them too. That's what I mean. Oh, That's you like, do wear I'm saying, the only shorts I have, they always have pockets on the sides. I'm like, what do I need all these pockets for? I, I've never put anything in the pockets of a cargo shorts. You don't? Shirt. Well, never. Guess, well, then you end up with like lopsided shorts. Yeah, right? you're walking you like this and you're like, you're having to move your hands <laughs> with your legs to steady all the weight. It's the worst invention <laughs> ever. Swing a leg out. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Cargo shorts are the worst. Uh, if anybody like loves cargo shorts in the comments, you can put your comments down and uh, all right, let us all right, know. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. There we go. Oh, man. So it was my birthday yesterday. It was your birthday. <laughs> That's a big deal. It's not. It is a big I, deal. You're my age now. I'm your age now. We're both 42. <laughs> True. 42. Yeah. I don't feel I like, like I'm 42. I like 42. I'm. I like I'm, my 40s quite a bit. I mean, I, I'm, we're just in it. Yeah, I was so going to say. I loved yeah. my 30s. My 30s were great. Best decade Best of my decade. life. <laughs> I liked, well, you know, of the three, you know, I did like 30s. 30s is your fourth decade, though. Okay, fine. You know? But like I lived, you know. Yeah, okay. Zero to 10? Yeah. Second best yeah. decade. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then probably my teens. Okay. Then my 30s and then maybe my 20s. Yeah, 20s. I didn't I know what I was doing in my 20s. Who does? Yeah. Maybe some of our listeners. Marriage was it. hard in my 20s. Like if Rachel's uh, watching this, she would yeah. know. She 20s knows. were tough. <laughs> we got married too young. That's yeah. why I got married way later. Yeah, exactly. We got married in our early fall. 20s. <laughs> That's wise. I mean, some of them do just fine. Yeah, I mean, we, we did fine yeah. in the end. <laughs> Not so in our 20s though. <laughs> so there you go. Look at Kevin Boris. Yeah. 42-year-olds are really getting into TikTok these days. <laughs> We're thinking about we're it. Trying, we're trying, trying to, to understand it. Trying to figure out what TikTok's all about. I think a direct quote of myself today in our staff meeting was like, but what's it for? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the answer is like, it's fun. Hmm. I don't, I'm not. I'm getting... still trying to figure out Instagram though. <laughs> so like, I mean, I thought I used to know Instagram. I used to get it. Yeah. You post nice photos. Yeah. And then Instagram no, just stories. changed a couple of years ago. The stories are. Yeah. Everything. It's about stories and it's about ugly photos. <laughs> Like your face did something quite funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, but people, I can't believe it. I know, like bad design, and right. it's a weird thing to me. So oh. I still just I post photos of my kids and my dog. Yeah, and I'm like, if you don't want to yeah. see that, then like, nobody's like forcing you at gunpoint to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Unfollow. <laughs> Unfollow. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Forty-two feels fine. Hmm. I think. 
I managed to have a really nice day. Mm -hmm. So what'd you do? I, well, I did some work in the morning, which I wasn't planning on doing, but I was like, just do some writing, Bobby, you'll feel better. So I did some work and then I went over to my aunt's and we were going to hang out on the back deck. She has a really nice back deck. Socially distanced. Yeah, exactly. But it was so cold Mm. and rainy. It felt like Vancouver outside. So she set up these nice chairs in her garage and we just kept it classy, like hung out in the garage. Kept it classy. A glass of wine in the garage. We had Prosecco. Yeah, Prosecco in the garage. I like it. That that was a good birthday. It was nice. It was nice. Yeah. We have uh, one of those heaters, um, you know, like uh, natural gas ones that connect. Yeah, connects. We can disconnect our, what's the thing you cook on outside? I could have come over to your house. Why am I blanking on this word? What? You cook things on it, but it's in your backyard. Your barbecue? Barbecue. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you disconnect the <laughs> disconnect the natural gas from that and you can okay. connect the heater. So it's really nice. But we I just like I took it apart and I cleaned it so it would start okay, properly. Okay. And then it got cold and rainy, so we haven't right. used it yet. Right, right, right. We're looking forward to that because you know we're not going anywhere. So we'll be right. in our backyard. Yeah. Hanging out. Yeah. Looking at the stars. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Now that there's less pollution. It's true. You can just see, see That's clear. what they say. Okay, can we yeah. talk about pollution for a second? Sure, absolutely. Um, I don't. I don't know if you read this. I read an article. They're saying total carbon footprint of the world has only dropped about eight percent. Okay. Um, since the start of all this, so and it's mainly because our actual personal footprint of carbon is such a tiny fraction yeah. of the amount of carbon we our economy puts out, mm-hmm. which is industrialized. And that really, even with sort of our our travel being shut down, our personal footprint being shut down, it has not dramatically, it's, it's dramatically cut down pollution, mm-hmm. but so not carbon. So the experience of our cities, yes. especially LA. Or yes, but not carbon. And so what it shows is that we actually have to make better strides corporately in terms okay. of our um, our industrial infrastructure if we right. actually want to lower our carbon footprint. Right. Now, that's not to say we should, you know, um, be complacent in our personal right. choices. Right. I mean, that, that's a big part of why I live close to work. It's a big part of why um, you know I eat the diet that I do. Mm-hmm. But if everybody made drastic personal personal changes, we mm-hmm. would not lower our carbon right. footprint globally to what we need. This has to. been in the conversation. It is, but I think already. sometimes there's still this like this personal pressure, which is good. I mean, we need to have that, but yeah. but a real awareness of the fact that we need to change industries if we're yes. going to mat- actually hit right. some of these targets that we think we want to hit. Right. I, I think I, I've thought about it like, yes, it's important that I reduce, reuse, recycle, but it's really important about how I vote and mm. like, like the, like the politics I'm yeah. interested in so that there's like much larger social change beyond like what I do with my city Jetta and my yeah. 500 square foot condo <laughs> exactly yeah i think it's really interesting oh cool. uh yeah, we, oh, we were talking about something my then. birthday yes your birthday <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's interesting actually Jan. i thought about you because you do not love birthday attention Mm-mm. you don't like it at all no i keep it quiet i keep it well, on the down low and like why um i don't know oh interesting yeah. I you'd have a sure, sure answer. No, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but like I kind of forget every year that I love it. Like okay. I'm just like, it's fine, it's fine. It, I end up feeling like it's just important that I find a way to celebrate okay. 
my life in a way that I want. Yeah, like, I, like I think it. maybe my single life really informed that because <laughs> I just was like, well, no one's going to plan a party for me. So I'm going to get good at planning my own parties. So that became a fun thing. Okay. But then every time like a birthday comes and then you start getting all the messages and the texts and like the nieces and nephews calling. I love okay. it. All right. I love it. I love it. And I think yesterday, especially maybe because of the time that we're in, I felt really like I, I sat with it at the end of the day. Like I let my brain, like my memory just kind of go through like the faces I talked to, the people I spent some time with. And there was, it was like a, like all these snapshots of like my little nephew's face, you know, <laughs> and like cool. FaceTime, all of these moments. And it made me incredibly like grateful. I was like, I have a great life. Cool. And I felt really glad about it. But Silver likes yeah. the birthday attention too. He does. <laughs> you, There's someone else in there. Silver brought me cupcakes. Oh so yeah, that's right. I read that. That's beautiful. <laughs> it was really beautiful. So great. So yeah, I think I was like, my encouragement to you, Jer, would be to find some room to like embrace it. Let the people love you. So here's what I think it is. For 43. I don't think, I don't like attention yeah. that I'm not driving myself. Of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I love attention and I love I being the center of attention yeah. when it's me driving it and asking for it yeah. and deserving it's not the right word, but no. when I feel like I'm creating that attention, yeah. I don't like attention on me when it's it feels just gratuitous or random mm. or i don't know and it just makes me really uncomfortable yeah. and so i have like i've seen you be uncomfortable with it before <laughs> <laughs> i definitely have like dude just embrace it let the yeah. people love you <laughs> yeah and i and the other thing is i so i i i find myself really awkward in small groups so i like i like one-on-one -on -one interactions with people and i like big groups of people mm -hmm. i don't like i don't like medium sizes i don't know what to do i don't know i don't know whether i should be bigger than normal okay like on a stage I or i don't it. know if i should be smaller right. and i just i get weird and i get and rachel's like everybody you look mad at everyone <laughs> I, I just i'm really uncomfortable and in front of a thousand people right. i am like totally at home right. and one-on-one right. -on -one having a coffee right. i feel really comfortable right. like 15 people and I'm just like, ah, I don't know what to do. Who do I, who is listening to me? Who's not? I don't know. It's very weird. I've also seen that. <laughs> it's a very weird sort of personal That's affect, true, but. Oh no, well. I get it. I get it. Um, I think that I can relate in terms of like parties. Like yeah. I love a big group and I love like a smaller group, but like a house party can really stress me out. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. So then when I'm at a house party, then I just like take over the room and right. I just make a big show. So right. everybody's looking at me and then I'm okay. Right. But then like when they go back to their own conversations, I'm like, oh, what do I do? Who, like, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to interact with people like a normal human being. <laughs> I just, I just I'm like, I'm, I'm a clown. Everybody look at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just have all these scenes in, in my mind now of like these moments. <laughs> you being like, okay, I'll just get big. I'll get big. <laughs> or get really small right. and grumpy. <laughs> those are those are the options. If Rachel's listening right now, she's probably killing herself laughing because she she knows exactly. She knows. She knows. Mm -hmm. Okay, one last birthday note. Yeah. So I, for some reason, I've been well, whatever you know, you get into like listening to music you love. So yeah. I was back into like a Bon Iver kick, hmm. and I freaking love Bon Iver. And have loved like all of his albums yeah. and have really loved the latest stuff, like how weird it is and all the yeah. song titles. And then I saw on YouTube that there was an NPR Bon Iver show. So I was like, glass of wine in hand last night. I'm like, I'm watching this whole thing. It's my birthday. <laughs> and I had such an interesting sensation of like 
remember when we used to do this? Oh, like, yeah. Like go, go out to shows and just be around people and sweat all over and like <laughs> be around each other. But then I had this like also remembering Sundays and mm -hmm. thinking about remember when we used to be here in this space. Yeah. And it feels like standing on this stage in front of all these people was years ago. It, it does, does it feel like feel a long time ago. Weird in terms of timeline. Yeah. I mean, it's we're, we're coming up on eight weeks. But if, this is episode eight of the after party, right? That's right. two we're months. Time, we're telling time. And we have after party. Yeah, yeah. Before <laughs> BC, before COVID, and <laughs> I thought you were gonna say before <laughs> after party. <laughs> after after COVID. I know it's true. BCE. Um, but it's, it's something about time is really it, it's so mm -hmm. such an elusive thing. Like it really does feel like it was more than six months. Like it feels like a year ago that we stood on this stage right. for me that I stood on the stage and looked yeah. out and had like that live interaction in the room. Like it so, just feels much longer. Than I mean, what do, they, what do they say? Three months to form new, new habits. habits and neural pathways and stuff. I mean, right. we're, we're two thirds of the way there. That's interesting. To this being I didn't think about it like our, our new normal with some of this stuff, which is, I mean, this is one of the long-term things when you think about um, all the social distancing is we're not going to be able to flip a switch and go back like like just our neural pathways what feels normal to us is gonna after disease yes <laughs> bc before COVID and ad after disease that's so perfect nice <laughs> but it's gonna take time like to for us to feel normal and comfortable again yeah. um and get back in those habits and i think yeah you know as we were talking i think last week about planning for the journal i've been thinking about that is like how do we start to teach ourselves how to um embrace touch and embrace yes. community in new ways again. Yeah. Um, like some things, I think we're learning some skills now right. that are going to serve us well, and that's right, all going to be right, good. Right. Like I don't think handshakes are coming back. Right. You know, like we're, we're just going to be doing some. fist bumps all the time. Ugh, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so some things are going to change, yeah. but it's, it's going to take, it's going to take some, some real work right. to go back to some of the habits yeah. that were good and healthy before yeah. COVID. Right. BC. So. <laughs> Okay. Okay. True. Any other any other birthday stuff? I was trying to think. Oh no, I think I exhausted it. <laughs> I can't remember if I had anything else. Yeah, I was okay. just curious about your hate of birthday yeah. attention. So my, my story this week. No love. I don't know if everybody saw my son's marble race. If you didn't, go to either my personal YouTube <laughs> or my Facebook. We did marble races. So my son loves these YouTube videos. And people race marbles. So we set them up and we had these jumps that they were going to do. And <laughs> like we put 10 marbles in and they all go down. And the very last one like hits the ramp. And it like does a double doink off the rim and then and lands. Did you slow mo it in oh, yeah. real time? So you went back and slow mo. We back. no, we slow moed the whole thing. Oh, so that we could get it in case something cool happened. Oh, that's so good. And then oh, like we sped that. it all up for the whole thing and slowed down the last climactic moment. We didn't know it was going to land that way, but it was hilarious. But yeah. the best part is we start this video. Uh, my son wants to do this video of him because he wants to put on YouTube and he's like, Hey guys, today we're doing the ultimate marble race. He's also yeah. got a new dude. He's got, so he's, he's got a got new like uh, a... mohawk he's got <laughs> that I gave him. Uh, so then he's like, leave a like on the video down below. So anyway, I post it. People are watching it every 30 minutes. He keeps, he's like, how many people have watched it now? So I said, it's like, you know, 800 <laughs> people or something have watched it now. And every time he's like, he's like, he wants me to show him so he can see how many. And then when he hit like 500, he was like, dad, we're probably going to need to get some merch for people to buy. <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> right. 
he just thought of that on its own. Because all these YouTubers he watches, they're always like trying to hawk their merch. That could have kept him busy for hours, like oh. designing merch. Yeah, it was great. So he thinks we need merch for his YouTube channel. You 100% if do. If you want some eaten merch, let oh us know. Oh my God. I can just see like an outline of like cool His face or something. Face. Yeah, there you go. So that's what, that's what we did. Oh, that's good. This week. All right. What that's happened great. this week? So we, uh, I mean, we're, we went through part three of four of yeah. My Big Loud Mouth. All about oversharing. It was about oversharing. So what did you talk about? <laughs> you want me to overshare? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this has been, I think this has been kind of an interesting series. Mm -hmm. um, starting with something like Everything Happens for a Reason. Yeah. Which, I mean, we started for that with, for a reason, which was it's sort of like this, you know, sideways way of coming into a conversation about things you wish you could take back. Right. Because normally we don't say that intentionally in a mean way. We don't wish we could take it back. Um, but then realizing afterwards, when you push somebody through um, their pain too quickly and you rush them to that, that can be hurtful. Then we jumped to the other side, which yeah. was I hate you. So Scott talked about that one. When we say something um, intentionally trying to hurt someone, mm -hmm. and then we flip back to something internally personal again, this idea of oversharing. So it's not that you were trying to be hurtful for somebody. It's not something that you could take back in the sense of um, like I was mean to. It's just, mm -hmm. oh, I wish I didn't tell that story to this person. <laughs> right. And you or, did both. You, you were doing both yeah. the like when you do it and when it's done. Yeah, to you. too. Right. Like, yeah, you exactly. Did, you did both of those yeah. experiences. And that, that experience of just hearing that story um, come out of your mouth. And you're, and then you, in immediately, you're like, this is not the right place for it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's, like I said, the wrong person who doesn't right. treat your story with dignity. Right, right, right. Sometimes that's just like everybody's laughing, and then all of a sudden you're like, also my mom died, you know, and or whatever, and you just pour right. that out, right. and you just realize, oh, oh, like this wasn't the time, or um, these people weren't ready right. for it, and you just you kind of want to take that yeah. back. So we were talking about what happens, where does that come from, mm -hmm. uh, what happens when you do that. And then how do we respond to each other when we're in those types of situations? Right. So that was the kind of frame for it. That was anyway. a framework, yeah. And then next week, we're talking about gossiping. Oh, yeah. So sharing someone else's story. Right. So it's sort of like that flip back to the other side. Okay. Um, again, maybe you didn't intentionally do it, although a lot of our gossip is. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I'm going to land on next week is okay. that gossiping that's really designed to other someone. Uh, like I'm telling you about this person and and I'm, I'm trying to get you on my side against them. Right. So it's sort of that flip back to the sort of um, maybe not intentionally, but that hurtful kind of conversation. And then there's the sort of awkward, I shared too much, or I said mm -hmm. the wrong thing kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, back and forth. Yeah. I mean, how do you think when you said that kind of moment of knowing, like, oh, right. I, I, do you think you're always, people are often like very conscious of that? Mm. Like I, 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 right. I, you know, I sort of have these like different snippets in my mind of like, the story's coming out. Yeah. And I'm like, too late. Ah, I need to get it back in. <laughs> and then you're in. trying to kind of land it, you know, and like draw it back yeah. in, like that kind of feeling. I remember walking away from, or like be, being mm -hmm. in those moments. I remember walking away from different conversations, probably in my 20s, <laughs> and being like, <laughs> 20s were the worst. Yeah, or definitely. Well, actually, probably also in my 30s. <laughs> and also last week, but whatever. <laughs> so, but I remember like when I was really trying to date, 
and I would like have a couple drinks and then I'd be in trouble because they'd ask a question and I'd be like, and then I'd be like, no, yeah, like get it back. You're probably never going to see this person again. Like this story. Also, I love your language. And you're like, when I was trying to date, like, like just the idea of like, was, I wasn't doing it. No, I, tried. I was not dating. I was trying, I but it, it wasn't it. It was hard. It was me. not it. I love that. I just love when you use that language. That's funny. That's good that you picked up on that. Uh, but I just wonder, like, yeah, when where's the point of awareness yeah. in our oversharing? So definitely, and I talked a little bit about that space where you know that someone is oversharing. Yeah, you feel it when you're stuck on the other it's side. It's making you cringe and you're just cool. like, yeah. And, and it's not that it's not that you don't even care about this person. It's not even that you don't want to hear their story. Yeah. You just know this is not the moment for it. Yeah. And you you feel that anxiety for right, them. You're kind of embarrassed for them. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a very real thing. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, and so I think some people do, and they're totally oblivious to it, and they're not aware of their oversharing. And I've met lots of those people. I've pastored a lot of those yeah. people before. And I think sort of very gently, um, you build that relationship with somebody, and then you're, you're able to come alongside and, and in the right time, slowly be able to say to people, mm. hey, like, this is not helpful for you right. to be putting all of this out there. You know, and it, it's sort of... Um, it's a it's an ugly metaphor, but it's that idea of, you know, like when you're wounded, you you can bleed on people, right? Right, and it's like you you bring all of that wounding with you, yeah. And if it's not dealt with, and if it's not honored in your own process, you end up getting a lot of that on other people, yes. And at at best, it's awkward, and people are kind of cringy, and then they kind of back away, right? Um, at worst, I think it actually sort of damages the relationship and it it drives people farther away yeah when all you want is like yeah. closeness yeah. and to be heard and known yeah and this it's is the, too and, much too soon the yeah. relationship just like doesn't have the structure yeah. to hold all that you're sharing right it which just is collapses. yeah and, and i think that's exactly what i was trying to get to as the main point in the sermon is this idea that when we don't spend real effort cultivating the kinds of relationships where we know we can be open and we know we can bring everything that's happening mm -hmm. inside of us to it um, and be completely vulnerable. If we don't do the work of creating those things, that need doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. And so it slowly builds up. And then eventually it's like the first person who's kind to us, it's like everything comes out. Yeah. Or we're at a party and there's people there and all of a sudden we're trying to gather attention. Yeah. And we're not actually being vulnerable. We're just, we're just getting eyes on our story. Um, and it's that idea that, and, and this has become really meaningful for me over the last 10 years really, is that the way that I stop myself from oversharing is I am very diligent about making sure I have spaces where I can share, where I am vulnerable, and where I do have a spiritual practice of doing that. Mm -hmm. Because I know that I haven't done my 20s. Here we go. We're back to this. <laughs> in my 20s. I did not set do up this, the right? on purpose. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> in my 20s, I was so, and not, this is not everyone in their yeah. 20s, but in my 20s, I was so desperate for people to know that, that I knew what I was doing, hmm. that I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want anyone to see that. And then because I still needed that, it would come out in weird ways, mm -hmm. wanting to be the center of attention, wanting people to know edgy things about me, all that kind of stuff. As I got older, as I got wiser, as I started pursuing a very small number of healthy relationships where I could be vulnerable, mm -hmm. 
then it was like my need to overshare. Like you, I could see it decline. Yeah. You know, because I had four people who knew yeah. my story. Right. And now I didn't need, right. you know, everyone on a Sunday to know my story. Like I, I have a much better, you know, professionally, I have a much better handle on what stories should be told from this stage to a thousand people mm -hmm. and what stories, you know, are really just for me. Right. Um, you know, and I talked about that in the sermon a little bit. Yeah. I think in my twenties, it was like, if it was a good story, it was going in a sermon, Oh yeah. you know, whether it was appropriate or not right. sometimes. You know? <laughs> I often think about the, the like needs in context of that kind of sharing mm -hmm. in terms of like having like worked out my story, if it has some weight to it mm -hmm. in the appropriate places so that when say I share part of it from this place, the stage, I don't actually need anything yes. from these people. I've done that work yeah. already. Cause I, I think that is a part of my voice is to kind of tell those, uh, totally. kind of, um, like personal stories. Absolutely. Um, cause I do, I really think like the personal in particular is universal. Like that's yeah. like, I'm really committed to that idea and storytelling and, um, and preaching. Uh, but, but I'm also, I think I've done a lot of that work to be like, Ooh, if you haven't worked out this, don't put that story yes. out there, you know, in that place, because it's, it's like icky, mm -hmm. you know, you know, when people are doing that, like, Oh, you need something from me that I yeah. can't give you. Yeah. And I'm not supposed to give you. You're totally right. Because yeah. it's not the story no. that determines whether exactly. it's appropriate for a sermon. I mean, you so can <laughs> tell, you can tell incredibly yes. vulnerable, exactly. hurtful, sad, painful, joyous, all kinds of stories. Yeah. But, but when you're preaching and again, this is not a, you know, a, a talk about preaching right. here, but you're but telling that story to be helpful for the people, yeah. not to work out your own shit yes, on stage. Exactly. And I think that's the difference is there are stories that are just for me and they're just for Rachel yeah. right now. And in, in 10 years yes. from now, in a year from now, exactly. they might be for everyone. Yeah. But, but I've learned the difference between those. Right. Now, what I haven't learned is what, what of my son's stories are. <laughs> but I tell too many of his stories. Aww. So as he gets older, I need to like right. rein that Go back in a bit. Aww. But um, but that's really it is any of your, any of your stories can be for the people around you, especially the people you care about, especially the people that care about you. Um, but, but they have to be stories that the right people have heard. They yeah. help you process, yeah. they help you work through. Yeah. And now maybe you, you're sharing your story out of a place of healing, yeah. out of a place of strength, out of a place of wanting to help someone. That can be really beautiful. Yeah. So it's, it's not about some stories shouldn't be shared. It's like, it's like you, you can give the gift of your story without needing something back from someone. I yeah. think like there's a generosity to that kind of story and that kind of sharing mm -hmm. that's not like attached to like sort of like a deficit yeah. or now again yeah. you know and, and Ashley's commenting on this too that that thin line I think it is a really thin line yeah. but remember this conversation here about what stories do you share right in public and all that yeah that is we're talking past that small group of people that you've invited into the most vulnerable parts of your story yeah. because what I'm not saying with this is every story needs to be processed before you share it with anyone. No, 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 no. Because you're yeah. never going to process them if you no, don't. exactly. It's just when it's you like, haven't processed it yet, yeah. that needs to be sort of a very small inner circle who've earned the right to be yeah. there with you. Right. You know, um, so so it's not that it's not that you don't tell your story until you've got it all worked right. out. It's that you keep it very yeah, that's contained. That's lonely. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a place and, of like shame. Yeah, and yeah. that's not good. Yeah. It's... Um, it's that some stories need to be shared in a very small circle, mm -hmm. a very trusted circle. Yeah, the working out of yeah. how you piece together these bits of your yeah. story, like your and, 
yeah. then you can make decisions about where you share them. Because yeah. that was that was really what I was trying to get at at Sunday is when we're oversharing, the thing is we're not making a choice about whether we're going to tell this story. Mm -hmm. It's that story bubbling up because it's had nowhere to go, like coming out. Yes. And we end up being at the mercy of that story yeah. rather than us choosing how mm -hmm. and when we're going to process that story. And those are those are very different right. things. Uh, do you remember that show? You can't do that on television. I totally remember that. Yeah. When they've dropped slime the on slime! people. I know. I'm just thinking about that it's green, good. icky slime. Like we end up sliming mm. people and we just long for somebody to yeah. receive our stories. Instead, we just <laughs> slime them. Okay. So I want to I wanna talk a little bit more about your connection to oversharing and empathy. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. I, I, ha I have, yeah, I just want to hear you talk about yeah. that a little bit more. So the, yeah, what was my piece in there? Yeah. So empathy I mean, I is around, for me, when I talk about empathy, what I'm talking about is this, um, um, this skill of being able to join somebody in their story. Right. So sympathy is sort of this external, I see your story. Yeah. I acknowledge your story. I feel bad that you've been through this thing. Right. Empathy is this sort of, I am going to I feel, I feel what you're feeling. That um, is the definition of empathy. Yeah, but for me, I think there's I think there's more than that too because it's actually I, like I'm I'm going to join you in that story. Okay. So I'm going to open a part of my story that's equally vulnerable. I'm going to show you that I'm with this in in this with you. Okay. Um, not just not just sort of uh, as a definition. Yes, empathy is just the feeling of it. Yeah. But I think in terms of relational like context, empathy is the ability to actually join somebody in their story, to okay. sit with them in it, to experience it with them. Um, and so what I was talking about on Sunday is empathy can be both the the skill or the emotional intelligence that that empathy that helps you say where is someone at in their story how do i join with them in it so how do i open myself how do i share a bit of my story um reciprocate with them mm -hmm. um so that i can show them that i care about them that i'm here with them that i'm not trying to rush them um that i'm i'm willing to go through this with them so there's there's that that level of empathy but the flip side of it is i think also Empathy is then what helps us to judge where somebody is at emotionally. So it's, it's like your emotional intelligence. So I can see your pain. My empathy can say, okay, I need to join this person in. Here's how I'm going to show them I'm going to do that. Here's how I'm going to journey with them. Empathy can also be the same skill that has me looking at you and saying, this is what she's going through right now. This is the capacity she has or doesn't have. So how is it appropriate for me to now unload my story onto her? Right? So... You tell me a sad story. Okay, my empathy allows me to join you. I have a sad story. My empathy is what allows me to evaluate, are you actually in a place where you can receive this story, where you okay. can reciprocate it back, yeah. right? And so we're all in this range of emotional intelligence. Yeah. Because I think what happens when we, ha when we haven't worked on emotional intelligence, when we haven't worked on empathy, we're not a good judge of someone else's ability to empathize with us. Okay. And so we end up talking to the wrong people because we're like, oh, they seem like a nice person. Yeah. I'm going to unload everything. Right. Well, empathy is, would come along and say, I'm picking up cues in this person that tell me they are not as open to me as I am to them or they don't have the emotional capacity right now to bear this story. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. That type of a thing. Yeah. So that's what I was sort of getting at is right. 
you build, we talk about empathy in terms of how we join someone else, mm -hmm. but empathy is also what allows us to decide who's ready to join us. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm kind of, do you know about the work of uh, like uh, against em empathy? Yep. Yeah. So that, that Paul Bloom wrote this book against mm -hmm. empathy about uh, a case for ra rational compassion. Yep. And I, 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 I often think about it. I've never read the book. So mm -hmm. this is sometimes my problem is like, I know a little bit about yep. a lot of things, <laughs> but he argues that empathy is it is not like it, it actually has a way of exhausting us and it doesn't yeah. promote, uh, you know, better connection. So he argues for compassion where you have this kind of distance from yourself mm -hmm. and you're able to uh, like hear and care about, but you don't sort of take on right. the emotion and the like deep feeling of that person. And I find it really interesting. Like that, I think you're, definition of empathy is really quite broad mm -hmm. and maybe he's using a much more narrow but he you know cites research about empathy having this way of like exhausting people sure. making it really difficult and it actually making you withdraw um, so, and so it was a study around uh different kinds of meditation so yeah. there studied meditation of empathy studied meditation of um, compassion and found that people who were really in touch with compassion were able to like feel energized mm. and could could say like I have some distance from you I'm not exhausted by your story um so I, I actually have some energy to like do something about it so I have read yeah. his stuff and I think sometimes what happens is um it comes out of these questions of how we're using words yeah because compassion from you know Greek is is or Latin actually, is common suffering, mm -hmm. right? Like passion is the suffering. Passion of the Christ mm -hmm. is the suffering of the Christ. So compassion is common suffering. It's I join you in your suffering. Mm -hmm. I feel your suffering. I join you. So sometimes when mm -hmm. I read these things, um, you know, Brene Brown, really big on empathy is her word she uses. You know, other people are like, it's compassion. Mm -hmm. It's other people, it's sympathy. Yeah. But then when you start to read into some of the, the nuance in the literature, yeah. what I find is everybody is sort of walking this line. Same thing like I was saying on Sunday. I used the word empathy, but at the same time I said, okay, so your empathy is gonna let you join someone in their story. Your empathy is also gonna give you the emotional intelligence to know that person's not ready for my story. Right. So yes, if, if empathy- if I like dr go there when I think about empathy. I do, right, yeah, again, I'm but this like, is what I mean is like, yeah. do you go there when you hear compassion? I guess it yeah. depends on how you are yeah. used to using that word. I mean, word. it makes some sense to me, but yeah. Yeah, so, and I think this is what it is, is it's, it, it's, I think if we get down to it's this word or it's that word, we're always just going to be in a, in a debate about, you know, what's our, right. what's our semantics. Right. I think what we need to have is enough nuance in our conversation to say, yeah. yes, empathy that makes you feel the story of everyone you encounter is of course not going to yeah, be good for you. Right. That's going to be way too draining. It's going right. to be way too taxing. And you're not going to have spaces where then you can share your story back with someone. Mm -hmm. Same way, um, if you constantly are sharing the most vulnerable parts of your story with everyone that you meet, mm -hmm. that's not empathetic because right. you're not taking into account sort right. of the awareness of everyone. Yeah. So the I did on Sunday move back and forth a little bit between empathy and emotional intelligence. Yeah. And maybe that's the language that that comes out better all around. Yeah. Is rather than compassion, might. because to me, I'm not sure compassion is a better word for right. all of this. I'm right. not sure sympathy is a better word for this. Right. I think it's all of these 
it's, it's like anything you have intelligence, but your intelligence is the way that you speak. It's the way that you can do math. It's mm -hmm. the way that you can solve problems. Like, you know, when we do an IQ, which again, mm -hmm. is not a great measure all the time, there's right. more problems with an IQ test, but theoretically what an IQ test is, is trying to solve for is, is your problem solving ability mm -hmm. to take all of these different skills and layer them together. Yeah. Emotional intelligence is that same kind of thing. Right. If my only skill is to feel the pain of everyone around me. Yeah. Yeah. If my only skill is sympathy to see your pain and like, you know, toss some platitudes at you. Right. If my only skill is to, to share my story everywhere. Right. You know, that's what I was saying is oversharing is not a good skill. At right. the same time, if you are not vulnerable and you don't share your story right. anyway, it's going to get worse. Yeah. So it's, it's always about having like anything in life. It's yeah. always about finding these balances right. and sort of testing the water on either side. Yeah. So for myself, like I said, in my 20s, it was a lot of pull back into myself, try to appear competent. That right. was the most important thing to me. And then realizing that wasn't healthy. So then leaning into pushing myself to say, I'm going to be more vulnerable. I'm going to seek out those relationships mm -hmm. and I'm going to consider it a discipline to invest in them and be present to them. But that's what, that's what keeps that group small. So yeah. then that I can do the kind of job that I do mm -hmm. where I listen to people all the time. Right. And this is the other thing. You and I have the same job. We do this all the time. Um, I can't take everybody's story with the same type of depth mm -hmm. uh, with me at the end of the day. No. That's not healthy. It's not good for me. So emotional intelligence is knowing, um, and even empathy for me, is knowing how do I be present to that person in that moment, mm -hmm. but understand what I'm doing for them, right? I'm not taking their loss. It's not mine. I can't feel it the same way yeah. that they do, but I can be empathetic in the, in the sense of not just saying it's a terrible thing that happened to you, but saying, Hey, here's, here's in my life, similar things. Here's what's happened. I open myself mm -hmm. up. We share back and forth. I, I reassure them that I'm willing to go through this with them on the long haul. Mm -hmm. But at some level I can still go home yeah. and I can still switch gears when mm -hmm. I walk in to see my son and I pick him up and I play with right. him and I talk to Rachel. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been doing this job for two decades now. Um, and Rachel knows that she doesn't want to know everything that happens at work. Yeah. She thought she did when we first got married and now she realizes, you know, she doesn't want that. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to rehearse everything when I come home. Yeah. Um, but again, again, how you lose language? I don't know. But to me, yeah. that's empathetic to realize that also I'm not going to bring it all right. home for my wife. I'm, I'm going to understand yeah. what's healthy for me in that moment. So I, maybe the maybe the better word yeah. is emotional intelligence because yeah. it, it brings all of these things yeah, together. Yeah, I think it does a little bit because I was even just thinking about um, like even in some of my most intimate relationships, like having a an, a healthy distance from the pain of somebody I love so deeply mm -hmm. is it, like to kind of realize like that is like I'm here. I, if I can do anything, mm -hmm. like let's think about that. But ultimately, like that like I'll take care of me and like you'll have to take care of you a little bit and <laughs> yeah. like we'll kind of do some of that work of taking care of each other but like if I just switch over to like I feel with you like I'm just kind of like they don't have I don't know it seems to be like a cycle of mm -hmm. like oh you have need and then I took on your need and then yeah. like we're kind of like 
it's like but isn't that a cycle of i mean that is very much what i was talking about on sunday is yeah. if you don't have healthy boundaries yeah. i think i just got a little like with your language of empathy because yeah. it just seemed like quite elevated and i was like ah yeah but see this is this is what i'm saying a lot of this like pushback on empathy i'm like i don't I don't think they've read yeah. any of the literature on empathy. Yeah. Like I don't, I have never read any of Brene Brown stuff and come away with the impression that she wants you to feel the pain of everyone around you yeah. all the time and sink into their despair. Like, yeah. it's just not what she's saying. Yeah. And it feels like everyone's arguing against a strong man, a straw man a little bit. Right. Whereas the people who like the language of empathy are not arguing for that. Yeah. The people who are saying compassion are not saying you should keep yourself distanced in a way yeah. and never be present to somebody. Yeah. You know, so, and I think this is the, the problem when we have synonyms in English yeah. is they all are going to have different nuances Maybe. for us, you know, and that's where, again, whether, whether the language is helpful or not, that's very much what I was trying to get to is you have, if you're, if, if empathy is your word, you have to think about it on both sides. Yeah, it's got to be the empathy of how you join someone. Yeah, so also got to be the empathy of how you evaluate someone. Right. Is this the person to share with or not? Yeah, you know, um, which is what I think that that whole passage of Jesus is about. You know, I do not give to dogs what is sacred. Yeah, uh, your emotional intelligence will be the thing that'll help you decide. You know, I hate to use the language, but who's a dog and who who I is know. not worthy yeah, of your story? Yeah, right, right. You know, right. I mean, I'm not calling people dogs. Right. <laughs> it's the metaphor he's what using. Was there. The, what was the like understanding of like emotions in the first century? I mean, getting a little. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd have to do more research, but yeah. I mean, the Greeks. So, so this is where. Um, when Paul starts talking to the Epicureans and um, the Stoics and all these things, like you're talking about very different schools of thought around emotion right. in the Greco-Roman world. Now, in the Jewish world, um, I would argue that the tradition was much more in tune with the range of emotion. Hmm. There were schools in the Greco-Roman world, like the Stoics, who are very much, you know, the path to enlightenment is to realize that your emotions your urges, mm -hmm. these are these are the lower, these are the lowest expressions of what it means to be a being. Mm -hmm. And so the path to enlightenment is to get away from that. And that, I mean that's very much, you know, sort of that that Buddhist, uh, you know, where Buddhist, you know, comes from as well, is that place that, hey, listen, our emotions can drive us, like I talked about in Sunday, into all kinds of uncomfortable, unhealthy situations. Mm -hmm. So then is the response. To say, okay, well, then we don't need emotions, then we don't need empathy. Right. Or is the response to say, yeah, emotions are a very powerful force in our lives. Right. So we need to be aware of them, we need to be in touch with them, and we need to understand when we're using them and when they're using us. Mm -hmm. Right. But the Stoics would have said, no, like you you try to assiduously eliminate any strong emotion, mm -hmm. any passion from your life. Mm -hmm. You don't feel fear, you don't feel joy, you know, you 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 tamp those things down and you become rational. That's how you become rational. Um, you know, David Hume would say the opposite, that there is no such thing as rational. There's only our experience of the world. I mean, that's, that's much later, um, mm -hmm. you know, pre-enlightenment, but this whole idea that um, rationality is an expression of our experience of the world. Mm -hmm. It's not detached from that. And so our rationality is seen through our emotions. That's, that's who we are at the core of our being, but it's always finding this balance between them. Mm -hmm. um, and then, Scott talked about uh, Jonathan Haidt. Right. Uh, yeah, we ago. mentioned that last. So week. in Haidt's book, um, the Righteous Mind, yeah, Righteous Mind, he talks about this idea. He uses the metaphor of of the rider and the elephant, 
to realize that, look, your rationality is the rider, your emotions, your, your gut feelings, these are the elephant. And that's the metaphor you need to keep in mind. It's hmm. not a horse and a rider. It's an elephant and a rider. Huh. And so there are times where a rider can see much farther ahead than the elephant and the hmm. rider can direct the elephant and move it in different directions. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's an elephant. when the elephant wants to go where it wants to go, right. your rationality has hmm. you know cannot change what you feel yeah that's interesting and so he says the more you're aware of that then you can then you can steer your emotions you can shape mm -hmm. emotions you can see emotions coming but there's no way to think that you can be a, a quote-unquote rational being who's purely driven by that hmm. um, and so we have to embrace this sort of sense of humanity that is always in touch with this precarious balance between these things you know, you, there's no such thing as a stoic who's yeah. just a rational being who sets right. their emotions aside. That's not human. Yeah. Now, an Epicurean who just is like, ah, a hedonist right. who's just like, I'm going to give into my pleasure, emotions. Right. I mean, then obviously you're going to find yourself, um, I think, causing a lot of damage to yourself and a lot of damage to the mm -hmm. people around you. Right. But it's, you know, it's that melding I talked about on Sunday. It's the melding that Jonathan Haidt is talking about in um, The Righteous Mind. Right. It's what David Hume is talking about when he's saying, hey, like, you know, um, rationality is not as pure as the enlightenment thinks it is. Mm. You know, we are still feeling creatures at our base. Right. And so how do we bring these two things together? Right, right, right. And, and that to me does seem more in touch with what I read in Jewish uh, literature. Mm. Um, Jewish philosophy comes to us very differently than Greco-Roman philosophy. Mm. So it's not sort of laid out. Right. You read it in narrative. Yeah, but when you read Jewish narratives, like they have this playfulness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you read the Psalms, you get all these strong emotions coming through. Yeah. But a lot of the Psalms, what you'll read is this giving voice to the most outlandish emotions. Like, God, I want to, I want right. the and the babies of my enemies right. dashed on yeah, the rocks. Like, I want, yeah. and then you'll find this coming back around to, but actually, you know what? I'm going to rest in the trust in the Lord and right, I'm going to trust in the, yeah. You know what out. I mean? So, and, and to me, that's that kind of balance. It's like, Hey, we, we can't pretend we don't have these things. We can't pretend that we're rational. Mm -hmm. So let's give voice to our emotions in the right space in the right time. And then we and have some space to be rational. Exactly. And let's have mm -hmm. the community that comes around and brings right. us back to the core of the story. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you would classify that as Jewish philosophy mm -hmm. or Hebrew philosophy, but it seems to be this much more integrated piece. And then you also have the Greeks sort of thinking about spirit and body right. in different ways and the, and the Jewish people not thinking in that dichotomy. Right. Like I, I'm not a body with a, with a spirit inside of right. me. Like that's very foreign to Hebrew thought. Yeah. I'm like, I'm me, right. you know, and I'm, I'm a spiritual being, but mm -hmm. I'm an, I'm an embodied spiritual being, right. you know? And so even that sense of like pain, like physical pain, is not separate from my emotions. It's not yeah. separate from my rationality. It's all part of who I am as a mm -hmm. human being. I mean, I, I'm very drawn to that idea. Uh, but I mean, there's there's things we can learn from philosophy too. I'm not right. anti that. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought it would be interesting to talk about our relationship between oversharing and confession. Yeah, that's cool. Um, talk about that. Well, <laughs> right, I don't know. Uh, I've, I had some notes, but I don't know if they were things that I picked up on what you said. Uh, yeah, just, well, I grew up, uh, my imagination around confession is obviously around um, like Catholic church confession. Oh, hang out. <laughs> I feel like this now. It's getting comfortable. Yeah. 
I'm settling in. I want to hear this story. All right. I don't have a story really. Um, I mean, so confession would be outside of uh, relationships that are, you know, this inner circle of Mm -hmm. relationships like you talked about, where you share your story and kind of work it out with these close relationships. This would be the relationship you have with a priest essentially could be a stranger. You know, you walk into a room or sit in a confession stall and like unload this thing and then, you know, are absolved and, and walk away. But we still have language around confession in the scriptures outside of that tradition, um, which would be, you cited James. I'm going to talk about it again on Sunday. You are just like going back to it. Yeah. It was sort of a little tease on Sunday Ah, and then I had an idea that I wanted to do. Okay. Okay. So you're around confession or a different part of it? Yeah. Around confession, but not, not in the context you're talking about, but I am going to come back to it on Sunday. So So it's just kind of another arm of this conversation, right? That like, are, what's the, what's the role of like, of unloading your story yeah. on on or with somebody that isn't in your inner circle, but is and maybe has a role to be able okay. to. So I want to I want to hear what you think. Uh, I want to answer one question. Somebody's asking. Ashley's asking. Do we ever consult mental health professionals when we write things like this? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we have a number of mental health professionals in our community. Um, like most of them are being interviewed this year on uh, this season yes. on the Between Sundays yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So check that out for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, we do. Um, we did a series a couple of years ago called, uh, death and all his friends oh, yeah. and, uh, Joel Ruse helped us with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tag team those sermons back and forth. And so whether it's, uh, mental health professionals here in the city mm-hmm. or literature, absolutely. We're yeah. checking those things and not just on emotional issues, on all kinds of things. Oh, like exactly, we're, we're trying yeah. to learn from those things yeah, I think and also recognizing the difference between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so I'll make one more comment on that. And then I, I want to get to your confession thing. Um, one of the things I recognize is that I'm not a mental health professional. Uh, yeah. So as a pastor, I've taken courses in counseling. Yeah. It's not the same thing as my degree is in counseling. I study theology. Yeah. I have two degrees, but they're both theology. They're not even pastoral degrees. Yeah. Um, they are like academic theology degrees. So my training in terms of counseling people is very limited. Yeah. And so there is a thing that I do called pastoral counseling, and that's a valuable piece. It's not the same thing as professional counseling. And so what we do at Commons is a lot of referrals. (laughs) I love referring. Yeah, And not only referrals, Um, though, but if people come to us, if you need a referral, talk to us. We we can subsidize. We can help. We can make sure you find the right person. We can make sure that you get access to a counselor if you can't afford that. Like there's lots of things that we can Mm. do, but that's all part of what we consider being pastors well, is to make sure you get the resources you can. And so there and, is something. Yeah. And not to pretend like we can do all of that Exactly. Work. I think so that, I help people think about their spirituality. Yeah. I help people think about the theology of how they interact with God through these things. Mm-hmm. That plays a really important role alongside professional counseling. Yes. They're different streams. They play yeah. different roles and they complement each other well for the right person. Yeah. And so that's what we do. So a lot of the time I will refer somebody and then I'll continue to meet with them mm-hmm. in a pastoral counseling setting yeah. while they meet with a professional to do something yeah. else. Now, but I'm your, not going to do your family of origin you no. know, work. I'm not yeah. going to do your... Like, yeah, I mean, we can talk work. about oh, those things. absolutely. Because again, both well, of us have witness, some training in oh, that. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. We but, witness all parts of those stories. Exactly. There's nothing that's off limits yeah. for our pastoral sort of witness yes. and presence. But it's not our role to do that. And we understand that very well. Now... To your point about confession, this relates because I do think, um, let me say this about counseling. I often tell people when they come to me and I refer to a counselor, what I say to them is, um, 
there can be something really freeing and really beautiful Mm -hmm. in continuing to walk with me and knowing that I will be here for you as long as you want me to be Mm -hmm. for years. I will be in your life as long Mm -hmm. as you're part of Commons Church. And it doesn't matter what you tell me. I'm telling you now. Mm -hmm. I'll journey with you. There's a freedom in knowing that. You can tell me anything. We'll talk. There's also a freedom in going to a counselor who you know you will not see until you pay to meet with you again for another hour. right. Right. So there's a, there's a freedom that people have when they meet with me. They can tell me anything and they're going to see me on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There's another type of freedom in knowing you can go to a counselor, you can meet with them and you will not see them again. Yeah. And that kind, both of those things can be really beautiful and really healing at the yeah. same time. Now back to your confession question. Yeah. I think this is the thing that becomes really valuable for us is there's confession one to another. That's the James. And I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about more th- about that on Sunday. Um, I need people in my life that I can say, this is what I'm struggling with right now. Mm. This is how I messed up. This is a thing that I said to my wife that, you know, um, I've apologized to her, but I need you to know this and I need you to sort of work with me on this so it doesn't happen again, these Mm. types of things. There's also something about the kind of confession where we name the thing so that somebody can speak on behalf of God and tell us the thing that we already believe. And that's what confession is. And it doesn't like... Protestants have these weird ideas about what goes on in the Catholic Church and right. in the Catholic tradition or the Eastern Orthodox tradition, this idea that you have to confess to a priest to be forgiven. Right. That's not exactly what's happening. And so people, I saw Protestants on Twitter dunking on Catholics when the Pope was like, hey, listen, because of COVID, you can oh, confess yeah. directly to Jesus. You don't have to go to a priest. And they're like, ah, see, you know, like Martin Luther won or something yeah. like that. Well, no. The, the Catholic catechism has never said that a priest can forgive you. Mm-hmm. The priest pronounces the forgiveness of God to you. Mm-hmm. And what's beautiful and what's um, insightful about that is this realization that, yeah, we believe in God. We believe that God forgives us. But until that's embodied mm-hmm. in a person, in a community, in a voice with skin and bones that says back to us, you are forgiven, you are loved, mm-hmm that's always going to be hard to hold on to right. in some way. Yeah. And so we don't do confession here in the sense of some people come in and they close the door and they sit with me. Yeah. But regularly in sermons, I am saying, you are welcome at the table of Christ. Mm-hmm. You are forgiven. You are loved. Like, right. like that kind of language is not just, it's not just um, a quirk of our vocabulary mm-hmm. that that shows up so much. Right. It's because it, 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 it fulfills the role of confession in our church that when you are, when I bring up things that, and I do this all the time in a message when I try to bring up those things where we reflect and we say, Hey, this is where I've messed up or this is where I've done things. I will always try to follow that up with some verbal statement of acknowledging you, you are forgiven regardless of whether you've asked for it, regardless of what you think, regardless of who you've gone to or what prayer you've said. Yeah, this is our larger confession. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are welcome. And again, it's not because I pronounce the forgiveness of God over anyone. It's because sometimes the forgiveness of God needs to be said out loud before people. And that's the really sacred thing that priests in the Catholic tradition But I think in our rule as well, and I think yes, something we've we gotten away that from in the priesthood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've gotten away I from think, in the evangelical. Yeah, I kind tradition. of have these like images in my mind of um, like how we we end up with this uh, posture in our lives of sort of like getting getting sort of stuck with our heads down. Maybe hmm. it's shame or the you know the details of our own story that we sort of like get worried about or consumed 
over and we forget like the banners that are over us hmm. like that there there are banners over us that god writes for yeah. us that are like you are loved you are forgiven you are a child of god you are made in the image of god and i think the beauty of the work of the priesthood is to just like lift the mm. head of the people you know lift the heads of the people to say look look at the yes. beautiful banners above your head mm -hmm. like they're always there I, I I don't need to be the per, but you might forget. So let me help you see. The work of Christianity yeah. is helping people come to see yeah. the goodness and the grace of God. Right. You know, we are not, you know, no matter not what it has it. become yeah. in evangelicalism, we are not bringing the forgiveness of God to people. We're not bringing the grace God. of God to people. Yeah. We are We are helping people to see the spirit that is around them all the time. Mm -hmm. We're helping mm -hmm. people to see that grace that is around right. them all the time. That's what salvation is. Yeah. Salvation is coming to see that you are saved. Yeah. It's not that you somehow, you know, and we use this language all the time. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to, well, but, but then the way we talk about it is like, we have to, we have to right. say this prayer. We have to right. raise our hand or we have to come to the front. Like right. it's the same thing, yeah. you know, but, but our job as the priesthood in, in that broad sense, mm -hmm. or just the church, like, yes. you know, cause we're Protestants. So we are all the priesthood. Exactly. And this is when we pray one to another and we confess one to another. Mm -hmm. we, we declare that forgiveness and that grace and that right. welcome back to each other. It's not just yeah. pastors, right? But, but that's what we're doing is we're helping people recognize the truth that surrounds them all the time. And this is where I think sometimes we have too deeply individualized our faith yes. is we've given people the impression that if you just think these things, yeah. then you're forgiven. Right. And you are because you were always forgiven. The problem is when you just think these things and you don't yeah. talk about it and you don't hear somebody say it back to you, yeah, you it's hard for it to become real right. because again, we are not just rational creatures, right? Because uh, yeah. it goes back to that whole thing. <laughs> we're not just rational. We don't just think our way through salvation. Right. We just don't think our way through forgiveness. Yeah. We experience it. We emote it. We feel it. We speak it to each other. We, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. And so it has to be expressed. It has to be lived out and it has to be reflected back to us. Yeah. Not because it does it. It's not real if it's not. Yeah. But because it, it is. in the Catholic tradition at the best of moments. Yeah, now, are exactly. there people in Catholicism who misunderstand it? Of course I, there are. Yeah. Are there priests who misunderstand it? I mean, it, it would sure. have been, I, I had confession as a part of um, catechism. Mm -hmm. and it just would have been so lovely if a priest would have said, like, you're a child of God, yeah. like you are loved. But I just remember him saying, you know, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> That's bad. And I was like, I guess I was mean to my brother. And he was like, go say three Al Marys and right. do our fathers. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, my memory of that moment right. was, is quite lacking. And, yeah. And, and how is it, you know, it's, it's but the same. It could have been so much of what I just People who was. in our community who have come up in the evangelical tradition or yeah. the Eastern Orthodox, like yeah. there's always moments where we drop the ball, yeah. you know, and I, and I take that seriously. There's moments yeah. where we are dropping the ball all the time yeah. at commons, you know, and I, you know, I mean, I mean, that yeah. cuts deep when I hear like people, people walked like, out. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and I, I mean, right. um, so not that they feel like people walked out because out. they didn't like it, whatever. Yeah. But when people walked out and they felt like they weren't welcome or they weren't loved yeah. or whatever, and, and that we didn't do a good job of that. I mean, I, yeah. I take that very seriously because I mean, you know, yeah. But. Well, um, you let's end with that. Oh, it's eight o'clock. Eight o'clock already. Okay. Well, oh, also my battery's dying. Ooh. Apparently I didn't plug in my computer. Ooh. Ooh what uh, do we got here? Do you, do you want to talk about one more thing? Sure. Or? Let's do it. Okay. Um, you, this idea of like, you know, those who deserve your story and that your story is sacred. Mm -hmm. Like that was some of your language. Um, what were my questions? Like what role 
does that play in growing friendships? Like, hmm. like I, I just was thinking more about process rather than like sort of a rival in like, yeah. oh yes, I have these five yes. friends. Like yes. people are coming here or like drawn to our community to find friendships, hmm. you know, real lasting, like meaningful uh, community. And I think I was like curious about the yeah of of exploring the process of the thing i'm gonna try to plug this in before oh, okay keep talking i'm listening yeah yeah i, I think i just asked the question <laughs> um you know that you're you know yeah. that okay i would believe that my story is sacred um okay i want to find like meaningful places where i can process my life and ask big questions and or even just thinking about the community that we encourage people towards which mm. are like groups which is like meeting and right. with a group of people that you don't know that you don't know their history don't you know how do you move towards uh like what what is the process what is like walking this out really look yeah. like i don't know that i have good advice in terms yeah. of what does the process look like i do think you're very much correct and, and it's a very important thing to name is that we are always all in yeah. process yeah. and all of our relationships are in process. Yes, right. It's not so, a given that like these five friends are going to be the like, yes, five friends. Yes. So the ahead. five, I don't have five friends, let's be honest, but I do have some friends, uh, but, the, but they're not the same as they were 10 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think that's okay mm -hmm. um, is giving space for that. And that can be hard too. There's a grieving process when that changes. Totally. Sometimes it's not even um, something that happened. You know, I mean, I've moved across the country yeah. at one point in my life. And, you know, th there was probably a year after moving to Calgary where I kept those relationships that I had and yeah. I worked at it and then I didn't. Right. You know, and yeah. and probably that next year they kind of faded. And then it was it was some point it was some point down the road that I realized, oh, I have let these things lapse. Yeah. Nothing happened. I'm right. still friendly with those people. Yeah. Uh, my friend who I held hands with at Canada's yeah, Wonderland. That's right. Yeah. Um, I talked to him, you know, actually a couple months ago, but, um, but I talk yeah. to him every couple of years now, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, friendly, but it's different. And I, so I think this is an important piece, yeah. um, that we, we always have to be investing in relationships and evaluating relationships. Yeah. So and there's something about holding them kind of loosely, yeah. I, which I think is really important. I think again, back to that, like mm. I need too much from this and then I have quite a grip on it. But I yeah. think too, like sometimes, especially in a community like this, you get all kinds of people, like it might really surprise you who ends up being like a really great friend yeah. in your community and like how to kind of have a, an open posture towards like the difference um, the beauty of difference and, and building that. I, so this is a whole other thing, but I do think um, the more, I, I think we get into this habit where we assume that people aren't interesting. So, you know, <laughs> like we assume uh, that, you know, there's nothing there. Like, right. you know, um, I think if we had a little bit more um, imagination oh, for yeah. what could be below the surface of people. Right, I right, think right. we would find that there are, they're infinitely interesting. Yeah. And yeah. that there are a lot of really great friendships that are surrounding right. us right now, but we just haven't thought of that person that way. Right, right. Um, I mean, that's a really interesting thing. And I've, I've yeah. thought about that a lot of times at different points in my life in yeah. terms of when I've needed friendships and I've been like, um, you know, Hey, how do I, how do I get those friends? And then I'm realized like, I, like partly because of my career, like I'm surrounded by all these people. Yeah. yeah. And yet in my mind, I'm just not, 
I'm just yeah. not imagining, you know, right, that, that they're right, there or something. Right. Like, like why, where does that come from? Right, and, and why couldn't yeah. I be more creative in my right. thinking? Um, so is that, but then yeah. also that piece that you talked about around, um, so you've got these friends, that's good, that's beautiful, but you have to keep working at yeah. it. You have to keep investing in it. Um, and, and it's. And like, and like keeping an open mind that other people could still like come and yeah. join you in your, in your sacred story. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not. It's not like, hey, done. It's fine. Like, yeah. that's over. Yeah. And I mean, that's that piece like, around, I mean, you know, I called it why, what I, like a, a spiritual discipline or something. Oh, I use that yes. language at some point. But around um, building those relationships, maintaining yeah. those relationships, working on those relationships, right. evaluating them. Like, you know, have, right. has this person moved on? Are they in a different space now? Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the tough things is, like check in. you know, when you're, when you're in your 20s or your 30s and you're single and then, mm-hmm. you know, a close friend gets married. Right. Um, doesn't mean the relationship ends at all, but it changes. Yeah. You know, and there's like, oh, yeah. okay, well, what's happening totally, now? And so, yeah. how do you work at that? Now you have to do, you have to put different effort in right. to maintain that relationship. Yeah. You know, so all those things happen. So, absolutely, um, relationships are never static. Yes. And the deeper they get, yeah. the less static they become. Yeah. Right. My my friend who I held hands with at Kansas Wonderland, yeah. that relationship has been static for a decade. Yeah. And it's been fine. Yeah. Because it's so surfacey like, now yeah, it's, it's, right and, and, and it will maintain that forever i could talk yeah. to i could go a decade and i could move back to ontario in my 50s and we could pick up where we are and have a yeah. conversation but the deeper a relationship comes the less static it is yeah. and the more effort it is and the more you have to yeah. invest in it so when you talk about those who deserve your story yeah that's not just uh who deserves it and now and now they're right. in the inner circle right. for the rest right. of their life. Right, right. You know, right. like it's yeah. not an appointment to the Supreme yeah. Court here where it's like, you know, you get this till you die. It's Although there are those friends it. that are surprisingly like that do stay surprisingly close with distance and um, so, sort of closeness. And, and I think I do. I agree. But I think um, not every relationship needs the same type of work. So yeah. it doesn't mean that you have to talk to them regularly, but there has to maintain a certain vulnerability. So there are people in my life who I don't talk to that regularly, but when we talk, it goes back to that, Mm. back to a depth. And then it can pick up from there. If you have a relationship that you see once a year and you talk to them about you know, surfacey stuff for 10 years. Yeah. You can't go right back in. Right. So it's, it's, it's I mean, this really it's delicate thing. Yeah. Delicate yeah. is a real word. Cause I just keep thinking about the spaces between us in these pews. I know we're not meeting in this room, but the ways that we like move towards each other, uh, in community right. and in small groups and, you know, like that, that, that interesting dance mm-hmm. of like inching our way, uh, towards each other. Yeah with great care and measure, Mm -hmm. but also like believing uh, I, I could meet something really important um, of my own story. So, I mean, we, I don't want to go too much longer here, but I mean, it is interesting. So when I think about our small group, um, who I didn't know any of the people um, that were in it and now all of those people are deeply meaningful for me. So there is something about just saying, okay, like, it, these are okay. These are the people that are around I'm gonna me. I'm going to be open. And I'm, I'm going to be open to yeah, this. I'm going to invest in it. But it, maybe on the first time you didn't like share nope, all the things. Not at all. Not and at all. I think like took we don't a year have to probably. Think about, we don't have to think about that. I, you know, yeah. that like take your time, but show up. Yeah. I, I like, I think there might be something to that. Yeah. Like in this conversation, conversation about oversharing, mm-hmm. uh, like watch yourself, but also be yeah. open. Like, yeah. and like take your time, show up. Yeah. Like a, a small group is this really interesting thing where it's like, yeah, here's some random people. I know yeah. any people around me. Yeah. 
I'm going to, I'm going to invest. I'm going to put the work into these relationships. Yeah. I'm not going to show up on day one yeah. and put it all there because right. these people got to earn the right. It's in the context of like, this yeah. is where this is supposed to yeah. go. It doesn't mean you just went yeah. there. They still got to earn it. They have to earn it. But you go in with the imagination to say, I believe mm -hmm. these people are worth it. Yeah. I believe they will learn it. Yeah. And I believe I'm going to discover something incredible yeah. and beautiful about them. Yeah. I just don't know what it is yet. Right. And that's our plug for groups. Yeah, there you go. So there's, there's groups. So if you're not in a group, uh, sign up for one. Uh, I'll speak to the camera right here. You can sign up for a group at commons.life. We have Zoom groups all across the city and we're launching new Zoom groups across the country now. Uh, we have some Zoom groups that we're starting in other provinces that are connecting with us online. At the commons.life, you can sign up there. How do you like that? Eh? Great, great way great. to end it. Yeah, great. You're a pro. All right. I, I think we're done for tonight. We've yeah. talked for more than an hour. We went long tonight. So right. uh, Ashley's talking about doing friendship speed dating when we can meet again IRL. I love that idea. <laughs> Socially distanced, I like know. speed dating, moving I around. Mean, we'll so. have to include that in one of our phases of reopening. Phases of reopening. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. So good, to, so good to chat. Thanks, everyone.